Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right, the rest of you, you have your Bibles open with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. I want you to consider the mission statement of a well-known university. Here's what it states. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Founded in 1636, this university employed exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers to share the good news. This was their purpose. This was their mission. This is why they existed. Every diploma from graduates, every diploma read this, truth for Christ and the church. You've probably heard of this school. It's called Harvard University. Only 80 years after its founding, a group of New England pastors sensed that Harvard was drifting too far for their liking. And so they were concerned with the secularization. They were concerned with the drift and the move away from God. And so they approached a wealthy philanthropist who, who shared their concerns and who was interested in helping them start a new university. This man's name, last name, was Yale. He financed their efforts in 1718. They called the college Yale University, whose motto was not just truth like Harvard, but was light and truth for Christ and the church. Today, Harvard and Yale's legacy of academic excellence are still intact, but neither school resembles what their original founders envisioned nor what their original mission envisioned. At their 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard, Stephen Muller, who was the former president at John Hopkins University, was interviewed and he bluntly stated, the bad news is the university has become godless. Harvard and Yale's founders were unmistakably clear in their goals, academic excellence and Christian formation, while producing ministers to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, What's interesting is you go back and you study the beginning of both of these institutions and many institutions, their goal was to be God-focused. Their goal was to be Christ-centered. Their mission statement was to produce students who go out into the workplace and make a difference for the kingdom of God. But that's no longer what they're known for, is it? I mean, they've drifted. See, what's happened with Harvard and Yale is what is called mission drift, Mission drift. And this happens not only in colleges, but in institutions, but also in the business world. There, there are businesses who start with one purpose, and over years, gradually over time, they begin to drift away from their original mission. And, and what they have to do is, if they're going to be realigned with their mission, is they have to go back to their founding documents. They have to go back and read from the founders why they were established and what they exist to do and what they, their mission says they are to accomplish. Well, unfortunately, this mission drift also has a tendency to happen in churches as well. 
You see, it's easy to lose sight of why Christ established the church. It is easy over time to forget what God called the church to accomplish. It is easy to substitute good things in the church for the main thing and then ultimately forget about the mission and the purpose of the church. Churches can experience mission drift. Churches can forget why they were established, why they were started, why God instituted the church, and gradually over time shift a little bit here and a little bit there and the the way that churches fix that and the way that churches guard against that happening is by going back to the original documents that explain why the church exists. Going back to the original documents of, why, of, of what the church's mission really is. And that's what this new series is all about. In fact, you should see the uh, title of our series up here. We're simply calling it Acts. Acts. But underneath that, we're, we're, we're referring to this series as the church unleashed and on mission. The church unleashed and on mission. What our desire is through this series, and, and we've been praying and planning for this for quite a while. Our desire is, one, to, to kind of use this as a self-checkup. Have we experienced mission drift? And if we have, then this is the founding document that we have to go back to to look at and say, how do we fix it? The study on the book of Acts is designed to remind us and challenge us about our understanding and the purpose of the church. It's designed to help us know what we are to prioritize as a church. It's designed to examine the model church in scripture so that we can, can follow their example, so that we can look at their structure, look at what they focused on. See, I want us, listen carefully, I want us to grow in our understanding of what it means to be a biblical church. I want us to be willing to take necessary steps to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. I want us to grow in our understanding of God's plan for us, God's plan for this church, so that in understanding it, we can actively and aggressively pursue it. I mean, I want us to be, if there's anything that unites us, I want us to be united around the purpose and the mission that God has given this church. I want us to understand that we have been unleashed to accomplish something for God, but it will not happen accidentally. We have to be unified and committed and dedicated to pursuing that mission. But the problem is, perhaps we've forgotten what that mission is. Maybe you're here and you haven't, but maybe you're here and over time, you've in your own heart, in your own life, you've experienced mission drift. Well, over the next number of weeks, we're going to try to ensure that we are guarding against that and correcting that. So last week was the resurrection of Christ. We celebrated the resurrection of Christ. The question that we need to ask, and I think that many people, many of the apostles were asking, is now what? What, where do we go from here? Christ is risen, but what do we do next? How do we live and operate in light of the resurrection of Christ? Now, I want to begin by simply reading through Acts chapter 1. This morning's message is from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to give you four truths from that in just a moment. But Acts is a narrative. And so in going through this, I simply want to read it so we understand what is taking place, understand the story, the transitions that are taking place in the lives of the apostles. And I'll offer a few comments as we go through this, but I just want to read through this. If you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's either one in the pew in front of you, or you can kind of follow along on the screen. Let's begin. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Pause there for a second. You say, what is the, the first narrative? Well, the book of Acts is written by Luke. So what was the first narrative? The gospel 
of Luke. This is almost like part two. All right, so you have the Gospel of Luke. Now you have Acts. Verse two, until the day he was taken up, he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke is simply reminding us this is what Christ did after the resurrection. I encourage you to come back this evening at five. We're going to go through a lesson in which we learn how to defend the resurrection of Christ. But in these first few verses, he's simply introducing himself, saying Christ is risen. He showed himself. He proved himself. Verse four, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father. Promise that's referring to the Holy Spirit. This he said is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We'll see that promise fulfilled next week in chapter 2. Verse 6 So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, which is not very long. They were restricted by how far they could travel in one day. So this would have taken probably a 15 or 20 minute walk. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. And these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Starting in verse 15 down through the end, what you find, I'm not going to read these right now, but what you find is kind of the prophecy concerning Judas betraying Christ. You see the selection process. I want to pick up in verse 21. Um, Therefore, from among the men whom have accompanied us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. See, one of the qualifications to be apostle of Christ is you had to have seen the risen Christ. You cannot be an apostle apart from seeing the risen Christ. Verse 23, so they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabas who is also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic service that Jewish that Judas left to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So you see several different things taking place, right? You see the resurrection of Christ, Christ appearing to people in the first three verses. You have the promise of the Holy Spirit in verse 4 through verse 8. Verse 9 through 11, you have the ascension of Christ. Verse 12 through verse 14, you have them being unified in prayer. And then verse 15, now through the end of the chapter, you have the selecting of the, the apostle to replace Judas. So that's what's taking place. But embedded in all of this are some critical, critical truths. You see, in Acts chapter 2 is where the church is established. 
So the reason why we're going to the book of Acts to look and say, okay, now what? How, how do we structure ourselves? And what should our mission be? And what should our purpose be? The reason we're going to the book of Acts is this is where the church started. This is where it all began. So in Acts chapter 1, the foundation is being laid. And if you and I are committed to this church being a biblical church, we, we have to understand the foundation that has been laid and understand truly what our mission is. And so if you have your bulletin on the back of your bulletin, I want to give you four truths. Four things that we must do. And I do not say the word must lightly. These are not options. These are not things that we can simply skim over and ignore or forget about by tomorrow. These are musts for the church. Here's number one. We must be committed to the mission of the church. Don't miss this. We must be committed to the mission of the church. And I would suggest that everything we're going to see in the weeks to follow show us and demonstrate to us how we best do that. But before we can do it, we have to know it. We have to understand it. Look with me, if you will, at verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is a summary of the mission of the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we can read verse 8 and we can talk about its significance. But before we do that, we need to understand, we need to be reminded that this theme that we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is presented in each and every one of the Gospels. I mean, when you're reading through something and Matthew mentions it and Mark mentions it and Luke mentions it and John mentions it. And then you get to the book of Acts and you read it again. It's almost as if the authors are saying, don't miss this. If you do anything, don't miss this truth. This is the mission of the church. This is the foundation of the church. So I want to remind you of what the gospel say. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16, 15. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, verse 46. He said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things John 2021 20, Jesus said to them again peace to you as the father has sent me I also send you to do what to continue the mission of Jesus Christ of bringing salvation to all people don't miss the mission of the church so you have the resurrection of Christ and then directly following you have the commission the command that is given to the followers of Christ this is the mission, listen, this is the mission that so many churches drift from over time. So many churches begin committed to the mission that Christ has given the church. And then over time, they experience mission drift, just like institutions and just like businesses. Over time, they are doing a lot of good things and they are busy and they are active. But they have drifted away from the primary mission that God has given the church. What happens when that happens? What happens when we drift from the mission? We, we lose effectiveness. We fail to make the impact that God has called us to make. We fail to see lives changed. We fail to see people saved and people baptized on a regular basis. We, we fail to see marriages restored. We fail to see families strengthened. When we drift from our, mess, from our mission that God has given us, there are dire consequences. 
But the problem is we've been trained and we've been taught that drifting from this mission is normal and therefore it is acceptable. And we can simply look over it and stay active and stay busy. But I would suggest to you this morning, when we drift from our mission, we fail to do what God has called us to do. And that is no small thing. That is no small thing. This mission that we have given, this primary mission, to summarize those passages I read, is to make disciples of all all nations. It is to preach the gospel to the whole creation. It is going and proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins to all people. It is to understand that we have been sent to proclaim the message here and abroad. We are to be witnesses of Christ and for Christ to those who desperately need Christ. Now, underneath this, I want to give you a couple of points that will kind of expand our understanding a little bit. Here's the first one. A, our mission is external. Nothing, zero, about our God-given mission is internally focused. This means that our eyes are not to be looking on how everything affects us and our personal comfort and our preferences, but how everything will enable us to do what God has called us to do. See, the Great Commission is focused beyond the walls of this building and beyond the borders of this property. It is externally focused. Listen, we will never be able to pursue the mission that God has given us if our likes, dislikes, preferences, and comforts are our sole focus. It will never happen. Never. B, we need to understand that our mission is both local and global. The mission is both local and global. It is not just a local commission that we have been given. One thing that is abundantly clear in all those passages that we read is that we are to focus both locally and globally. We have to be committed to both, both reaching locally as well as sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28 says all nations. Mark 16 says go into all the world. Luke 24 says proclaim to all nations. Acts 1 says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is not just a local mission and it is not just a global mission. It is both. One author actually said it's global. Came up with a new word. Global and local put together. This is a global mission. Local and global. See, we have to be intentional about personally and deliberately doing both. To say that we only care about giving to the global while refusing to be involved in the local is to ignore our responsibility. And at the exact same time, to be involved in the local but to care nothing about the global is negligent. So let me give you an application point that will summarize this truth. Here it is. The church that is not committed... To the mission of going to all people is not committed to obeying God. The church that is not committed to fulfilling the mission that God has given us of going and preaching and proclaiming the good news to all people is not committed to obeying God. So you may look and say, yeah, we're kind of weak in missions and evangelism or we're not really focused on that or we've drifted from our mission. Let me word it a different way. We're disobedient. We're failing to do what God has clearly commanded and called and equipped and empowered us to do. This is no small thing. Make no mistake about it. This is an obedience issue. See, if you are here and you honestly say and you honestly believe that you want our church to be obedient to God and obedient to his word, then we must be desperately committed to the mission that God has given our church. To, to ignore the missions to say we care nothing about obedience. Number two, second truth, we must understand where our power comes from. 
Verse 8 again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Notice how clearly Jesus states the fact that he will provide the power for the mission that he has given us. You will receive power. This is passive. We don't create it. We simply receive it. Luke 24, 49 says, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. That's for you. Stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. The power to accomplish the mission that God has given us comes from God, specifically his Holy Spirit. Listen, while organization is important, structure is important, it is not the source of power. While finances are often needed, they are no substitute for the power of God. See, if we're serious about accomplishing the mission that God has given us, we must rely on God more than ourselves. We must trust God more than ourselves. We have to acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own strength. In fact, John says we can do nothing apart from Christ. Again, let me give you an application point that will help summarize this truth. The Holy Spirit was given to enable us to go, not to know. Understand what I'm saying. It is possible for us to gain knowledge apart from the power of God. It is possible for us to organize apart from the power of God. It is possible for us to have meetings apart from the power of God. It is possible to go through the motions of church apart from the power of God. But we cannot and we will not ever see lives transformed as a result of us pursuing our mission apart from the power of God. So if this is our mission, to, to take the gospel, to see lives transformed, to see souls saved, if that is the mission that God has given us and we cannot do that on our own, then we we must understand where the power and where the ability to see that happen comes from. And it's very clear it comes from God. See, to have access to this power, but to ignore it means that we'll be ineffective. It's kind of like having a car with all the horsepower that you could possibly imagine, but refusing to put fuel in it. You go have this nice looking car, fancy car, powerful car, fast car. You go sit in it. You're like, man, I'm excited. But you're not going to get anywhere without fuel. See, when we as a church, when we try to operate in our own strength and in our own power, we're doing the exact same thing. You have this nice car, all this power, all this ability. But when we refuse the power of God and trust in the power of ourselves, we're basically saying, man, I hope this car gets me there, but I'm not interested in putting fuel in it. How far are you going to get? Not that far. That is exactly right. Unless you get out and push, and that takes a whole lot more energy and a whole lot more work, and I'll get dirty doing it. You may make it a few feet, but that's about it. Why do churches, maybe us, why do we think that we can resist and ignore the power of God and still accomplish what God has called us to accomplish? You want to know how churches grow? A church grows when it works to accomplish the mission that God has given it by truly making it a priority in the life of the church and then relying on the power of God. I heard it worded like this. We work as though it's all up to us, but then we pray like it's all up to God. Because ultimately, no matter how hard we work, we need the power of God. No matter how structured we are, we need the power of God. No matter how many meetings we have, we need the power of God. No matter how many services and events we have, we need the power of God. Without the power of God, we're simply sitting in a car with no fuel. May look good. People may drive by and think, I wish I had that car. 
if they only knew the truth. So how then do we rely on the power of God? Let me give you number three. We must demonstrate a reliance on God through prayer. The way we demonstrate a true reliance on God is by prioritizing prayer. We're going to see this many times throughout the book of Acts. So I just want to kind of touch on it here and we'll touch on it again at the conclusion. But notice verse 14 with me, if you will. And these were continually united in prayer. So this was not just a one-time thing. They were continually united in prayer. Skip down to verse 24. They're selecting the new, the new apostle. Notice what they did. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen. What they're saying is, God, we trust you. We rely on you. And they demonstrated that through prayer. If you claim to trust in God and you claim to rely on the power of God, but yet you never spend time in prayer to God, then you really are lying about your trust in God. Because trust in God and relying on the power of God is demonstrated through prayer to God. That's why the church that never prays can never expect God to work. Power comes through prayer. Because it is in prayer we say, God, we cannot do it. God, we need you. God, work in us. Work through us. So here's your application point. Our mission cannot be accomplished apart from prayer. What God has called us as a church to do cannot be accomplished apart from prayer. It's not that we can do some and God can do some. It's that apart from demonstrating reliance on God, we can do nothing at all except go through the motions. Let me give you the final truth this morning. Number four, we must look for the return of Christ. Notice verse 10 in the... And 11. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up. And as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. When I was... Studying this this week, initially, I just skipped over verse 9, 10, and 11 completely. I was like, well, this is interesting. You see Christ going into heaven, but let's, let's get to the kind of the main stuff. But as I begin thinking about it, this is key. See, between the commission given in verse 8 and them being united in prayer and praying for God's power and pursuing the mission that God had given them in verse 14, you have this event. So, so why is this event significant? Well, I think those two men, what they did to the apostles is reminded them, Christ is coming again. Time is not unlimited. So you, you have this mission, verse 8, go, proclaim the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Take the message of Christ to all people. Then you have in verse 10 through 11, Christ has gone up, yes, but he is coming again. And then you have them going and committed to prayer, pursuing this mission. Why? How does this all fit? See, we have to understand that Christ is coming again, and that should fuel our pursuit of the mission. See, we cannot sit back and think that we have endless amount of time, an endless amount of resources, and endless opportunities, because the reality is time one day will end when Christ comes again. And at that moment, all opportunities have ended. I think we would agree that Christ is coming again. I mean, I think if we were to go around, everybody say, yeah, I believe Christ is coming again. But see, that truth, that reality should remind us that there is so much to do between now and then. 
That truth should remind us that this mission that God has given in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and all the other Gospels, this mission that he has given us must be a priority. Because heaven is real, eternity is real, Christ is coming again, souls are in the balance, and whether or not we pursue this mission not only impacts us, it impacts our community, and it impacts our family's lives, and our friends' lives, and our co-workers' lives. See, this truth that Christ is coming again should motivate us to give, it should motivate us to go, it should motivate us to work, it should motivate us to serve, it should motivate us, motivate us to lay aside our own preferences for the good of the mission, I mean, those who play sports understand this. Sometimes when you're on a team, you have to play a position that's not your favorite position, but for the good of a team. Soldiers understand this. In military, sometimes the soldiers have to put aside their likes and dislikes for the good of the mission. And in a church, it is no different. We must unite around the mission that God has given us. Here's what this means. Everything that our church does should help us accomplish the mission that God has given us. Every ministry should seek to help the church fulfill its ministry. The church, understand how I'm saying this, the church does not exist for your ministry. In fact, your ministry exists to further the mission of the church. Your class does not exist simply to go through the motions. The church does not exist to to fuel your class. Rather, your class exists to fuel and to help the church accomplish what God has called the church to accomplish. So here's the question. Question for you to ask about your area of service, your area of ministry, your class. How are you helping the church pursue this mission? How is what you are doing helping us accomplish the mission that God has given us? You may be here and say, you know what? I'm not 100% clear on what that mission is. Well, come back throughout this series because we're going to drive this home. We're, we're going to major on this. We're, we're going to emphasize this over the next several weeks. This is the mission. This is how we fulfill it. Everything we do is either helping us accomplish that or is distracting us away from that. And there really is no neutral ground. We either pursue the mission that God has given us or we say we're okay with resources and time and effort and energy distracting us away from this mission. Here's your truth application point for this truth. Let the return of Christ fuel our commitment to our mission. One of the hard aspects of being a pastor is interacting and talking with families and during the loss of a loved one. And sometimes it's not just the family, sometimes it's meeting with An individual who knows they only have days left. And this has happened numerous occasions. And I've never talked with someone laying on their deathbed who's told me, I'm glad I wasted my life. It's never happened. Multiple, multiple, multiple times I have talked with people who are laying there knowing they have just 48 hours left. And kind of in their last breath... You know what they're saying? I wish I would have done more to do what God called me to do. There are churches that are on the verge of closing. I mean, that once were great, but now just have 10, 12 people. You know what they're saying? They're not saying, you know what, I'm glad we ignored our mission. 
I'm glad we ignored what God called us to do. None of them are saying that. You know what they're saying? I wish we'd have been more committed. I wish we'd have been more focused on what God called us to do. I wish we would not have experienced mission drift. I wish we wouldn't have just been content to go through the motions. I wish we'd I wish we'd have looked at God's mission that he had given us and committed everything to that. See, most everything else that follows in the book of Acts is how do we accomplish this mission? How do we prioritize this and structure ourselves to do this and, and structure our finances to do this? And I mean, we, we need more volunteers. We need more people involved. We need more people sacrificing and serving and investing. But in those things that help us accomplish the mission. Again, the series is called Acts, the church unleashed and on mission. But too many churches are not acting as though they've been unleashed and not acting as though they're on mission. They're acting as though, you know what, we're content. And contentment kills. Stagnancy kills. Lukewarmness destroys. Jason and I have talked all week. We are committed to leading our church to fulfill the mission that God has given us. But you know what, we can't do it by ourselves. I read verse 14 and I, I read about how this church in the book of Acts was united in prayer. And it wasn't just some random prayer, thank you for this food, be with all the missionaries, meet everybody's needs kind of a prayer. This united in prayer was directly following the commission that God has given them and the reminder that Christ was coming again. I'm going I'm to do something a little weird this morning. Is that all right with you guys? Yeah, you say that, just wait. I, I think this verse 14, this being united in prayer, is far more important than we give it credit for. See, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I want to help our church be on mission. I want to help our church act as though we've been unleashed to do something mighty for God. I want us to not just go through the motions and not just casually drift. I want us to get pinpoint accurate with doing what God has called us to do. In a minute, I'm going to invite you. If you agree with that, I'm going to invite you to come down front, and we're going to stand around the front, and we're going to have a time of prayer, united in prayer. And if you're involved in our church, you're in a ministry, and visitors, I know this may seem weird, and we don't do this every week, so just kind of roll with it. But if you're part of our church and you're involved in the ministry of our church and you say, yes, I want to help us do that, then let's unite in prayer. You say, what's at stake? I did a little research this week, and I don't know if these numbers are 100% accurate, but in Hanahan, there's over 20,000 people. Berkeley County, there's over 200,000 people. Charleston County, over 400,000 people. Dorchester County, over 140,000 people. So you put that together in our region, there's... Th- Close to three-quarters of a million people. In South Carolina, there's almost five million people. In the U.S., there's over 320 million people. And in the world, there's 7.5 billion people that have souls. And that will spend eternity somewhere. Time is short. Christ is coming again. Souls are in the balance. Eternity is real. The need is both urgent and the need is great. We cannot sit back 
and ignore our mission. We can't. To do so is disobedience. To do so is to say we don't care. To do so is just to say, you know what, those 7.5 billion people or those 20,000 right here in Hanahan, they don't matter. And I don't think any of us in our heart would say that. But when we refuse to do the mission and commit to the mission that God has given us, that is what we are saying. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. We stand. Turn to Mark, if you'll come, just play softly. Bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. Listen, this is a time for you personally to make decisions. See, if you would say this morning, I want our church to be committed to this mission above all else. And I'm willing to sacrifice to make this happen. I'm willing to serve to make this happen. I'm willing to lay aside my preferences to make this happen. Then I want to invite you right now just to step out where you are and come and join me down front. And we're going to have, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.